0: With sports car racing news from around the globe, this is the Sports Car 365 Double Stint Podcast. Here's Ryan Marine.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to Double Stint, Sports Car 365 Sports Car Racing Podcast in Rome, Italy for the week. I'm Ryan Marine. We'll be covering the Lamborghini Super Trofeo World Final a little bit later on this weekend. Uh, joining me from the UK is Jake Kilshot. Jake, how are you doing? I'm all right. That's good to hear. And uh, we'll have plenty to talk about with Jake throughout the course of the show here this week. We will be, of course, talking about IMSA Encore here to kick things off. The uh, final IMSA event of the season, unless you count the Super Trofeo World Final, which I suppose has some IMSA connections as well at Vallalunga. Uh, we'll talk about that at the tail end of the program. We've also got uh, racing at uh, Shanghai, the WEC back in action. We'll preview that. And we've got uh, Macau as well, the the uh, uh, great race, the street circuit there. John DeGeese will be there for that event with our coverage at Sports Car 365 uh, John will be along at the tail end of the program to answer listener questions and uh, also this week we have an interview with chris ward who oversees lamborghini's racing operations in the u.s and we'll talk to him about that as well as uh, what he expects from the world final this weekend but uh, let's start with the encore jake i think there was uh, some excitement surrounding this event just because it's something new and something different. Uh, maybe before we dive into the actual results, I know the the car count was lower than folks had hoped, but it was still a learning opportunity chance for all these different drivers and teams to get out on the Michelin tires, for instance. And uh, just kind of curious to see what, what you thought reading all the reports that John had from Sebring over the weekend.
2: Yeah, I think it was an interesting weekend. And obviously this is a, a new race, um, a new sort of format in that it's obviously a non-points paying race um served a few purposes really as you said you know to get to get teams accustomed to the new michelin tires ahead of next year but also to have another race at sebring is a fairly is a fairly big deal as well um, and also just to give a bit of um a, bit of a highlight really to some of the classes of cars that don't really get much much attention normally um, you know, LMP3, GT4, TCR cars—they're all included somewhere in the IMSA umbrella, but none of them are in the are in the WeatherTech Championship. So it's cool to give a bit of uh, time, a bit of air time to those to those categories as well. Um, but yeah, I think a fairly interesting weekend, as he said, not really the car count that I think was expected or hoped for, but it made up for it elsewhere. Um, the the importance of the event and what a lot of people um, in the paddock sort of. Gained from it ahead of ahead of Daytona
1: and some opportunities for some stars to shine. And I think maybe that's where we'll start here, looking at the uh, overall result, LMP3 effectively getting top billing with no GT3 cars entered. We talked about that on the show last week. So if you want more information about exactly why there were no GT3 cars in the field, which had been announced when when this event was first put forward, there was the plan to uh, have four classes and include GT3, but for various reasons that did not happen. So LMP3 very much in the space spotlight and ansa with the win in the inaugural event kyle kirkwood who i think open wheel fans stateside certainly uh, should know that name the usf 2000 and also usf3 champion this year i think he won all but one race he entered across those two categories and now you can add a win in the imsa encore as well plus roman de Angelis, who's a star in the making in the, the porsche cup ranks the young Canadian who showed has showed very well um, in cup racing throughout the course of the season. So it was a debut in sports car racing for Kirkwood. It was a debut in prototype racing, if I'm not mistaken, for DeAngelis. And they formed a pretty mighty duo. Uh, didn't start on pole, but controlled a great deal of the race and ended up uh, picking up a big win, which again, we talked about the opportunity to put the spotlight on different classes. And here we saw the spotlight on some some different drivers and some names that I think people are going to want to pay attention to in the years to come.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think also looking at the uh, car that eventually finished runner-up, which was the K2R motor, Motorsports, the drivers in that car also really stood out throughout the weekend. Uh, Kay Van Berlo, especially, who's a bit of an unknown, uh, entity, an unknown quantity, really, um, especially on the American side of things. Um, Matt Bell, uh, the British Matt Bell, not the American Matt Bell, <laughs> and uh, Jim Maguire in that car. Um, really They really stood out for, throughout the whole weekend. Um showed what they can do k van Berlo, considering he's a bronze rated driver uh, put in a really impressive performance um he's got a bright future ahead of him i'm sure um he's been doing a bit in the, in europe um last couple of seasons but i think this is this could sort of be the start of a bit of a breakthrough for him um matt bell as well um good to see him getting some getting some good uh, results it's been a fairly difficult um couple of seasons for him. He's been linked with United Autosports in Europe, but has never really been at the top billing of that team, never really been one of the top drivers there. So it's good to see him get a bit of a break as well. Um, but yeah, just looking through the field, there's, there's big names in the field as well, um, you know, in other in other cars. Uh, Guy Cosmo, uh, Catherine Legs there as well, Andy Lally. Um, just looking down the entry list, there's some really big names there. So it's nice to see some of the sort of unknown drivers as well, get some success there.
1: Yeah, I was. Uh, it was also neat, you mentioned Catherine Legg. She ends up on the podium, I think, finishing in third and uh, was reunited with the Polestar team that she raced for in uh, the junior open wheel ranks when she first made the transition to North America from her career racing over in Europe so that's a that's a neat story there uh, ultimately like you said it was a good showing from that uh, that group that finished in second K van Burlow who you mentioned he had a, a really impressive run to the pole and early on it looked like that car was was going to be one of the contenders for the win. However, there was a drive-through penalty at one point or another, and Matt Bell put in a really good drive, benefited from a wave around, and ultimately got back on the lead lap and drove his way back up to second. So I think they have to look at this as a case of what might have been, had there not been uh, the miscue and the penalty, but a good performance out of that bunch. Let's get to the other classes, Core Motorsports, uh, a popular Mustang team from um, a competition both in IMSA and also in World Challenge over the last few years. They picked up the win in GT4, Nate Stacy and Kyle Marcelli, along with Dean Martin, the team principal, and also one of the drivers there. They won in that class. It looked like it was going to be Andy Lally's race to win, but uh, a late pit stop and an unexpected one caused him to have to pit from the lead late in the race, and Core uh, able to jump to the lead from there. And in TCR, Mark Motors got the win uh, in that category, so congratulations to them. But in a lot of ways, Jake, it was a preview of what's to come. We talked about the chance to run on the Michelin tires. That's certainly a big deal, but you did have a little bit of drama in the race. Frankly, the weekend wasn't what I was hoping for, and I know from speaking to Scott Atherton a few times throughout the process building up to this, I think they had higher hopes but we've we've seen this before with, with first-year events. The California Eight Hours, for instance, last year, small grid, not a ton of excitement, but year to year. In year two, we really saw some growth, and it did feel like a big-time event when we were there just a couple of weeks ago, and I have some hope that the IMSA Encore can do the same.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think it was a, a good future ahead of this race. It's a bit weird looking at it now it being called an Encore because it uh, this year's race was definitely sort of a preview Good of point. everything that's coming next year. But I think if if this race has got if this race has got a future, and they are going to hold it again next year and in 2020 and so on, it it works well. Um, it, it will fit in well as an extra event um, in the in the middle of the IMS off season. Obviously, the off season for IMS is a lot earlier than it is for other series because of Daytona being in January um, and before testing begins ahead of the next season. It, it's a nice time slot really that teams are maybe wanting to test some new drivers um or shake down a new car in a competitive environment um it'll have a good purpose there to be able to um fill a gap in in the middle of the off season.
1: Yeah, good stuff there. So for all the coverage from over the weekend, John was busy keeping up with all the various stories, practice reports, qualifying in the race, plus all the news that came out of the IMSA Encore Weekend. Check out sportscar 365com for more information there. Let's get a break in here, and when we come back, we will discuss the news of the week, including... We finally know who won the Endurance Cup in uh, Blancpain GT racing this year. We'll talk about that as the Black Falcon appeal finally came to a close, plus other topics next on the Double Stint Podcast.
0: Hi, I'm Cooper McNeil, and you're listening to Sports Car 365's Double Stint Podcast.
1: Back on Double Stint, Jake, let's dive into the news of the week. I teased it just a few moments ago. Black Falcon has won its appeal, and now we have an Endurance Cup champion in Blancpain GT, finally, after all this time. Yeah,
2: it's been a bit of a difficult one to sort of keep your head around with everything going on in the Blancpain GT series um, following its season finale in Barcelona um about five or six weeks ago um but effectively we now know that black falcon has won that race and the endurance cup championship so teams won the team championship and its drivers Maro engel yelmer berman and lucas stoltz have been crowned the endurance Cup drivers champions this basically came from controversy surrounding tape that was found on the air duct on the air inlet of their mercedes following post-race engineering um, so a few hours after the race, uh, Barcelona, they were disqualified. Uh, they lost for a race win, um, which provisionally made Raffaele Marciello, the Endurance Cup Drivers Champion, be taken off him as, Black, as the Black Falcon guys have been reinstated. Um, but yeah, just a bit of the same situation here. Um, talking to a couple of people in the paddock as well over the last few weeks, um, it's, it seems that no one really understands what, what why this happened, why this situation arose. Um, without going into too much detail, um, effectively the, the tape was found on a fairly prominent and very easy to see area in the Mercedes. Uh, Black Falcon has said that they, they were running their cars this way ever since they've been running that Mercedes model. They have in every race and every car they run effectively, so they were a little bit confused. Um, speaking to one of the drivers involved who said, yeah, we're a bit confused about why why it's been brought up now? Why has it taken them a couple of years to to find this when it's fairly obvious? So maybe it seems like maybe there's something else going on behind the scenes. Who, who knows? Um, but do go and read this story um, on Sports Star 365 from uh, November the 9th. There's um, some more details there about it. But effectively, this is in the past now. The confusion around it is is, is hopefully settled. Um, but it does raise a couple of questions about the, how strict some of the stewards' decisions have been in the Bonkman GT Series this season there have been a few incidents um, there was something at Spa with tape on a WRT Audi, there was a similar situation at Silverstone regarding the R Motorsport Aston Martin with an SD card, a few other things as well where things have been decided by stewards' decisions which have been a little bit questionable and it doesn't seem like all the information has been released So it'll be interesting to see how this develops next year and if this is going to be a trend that continues in the Bumpan GT series.
1: Yeah, something to keep an eye on. Certainly high drama, and uh, it's never ideal when you leave an event and you you don't know for sure who the winner is, or uh, even even worse, you end the season and you're not sure Mm. who the champion is. So uh, nice to have some closure on this, and hopefully it's a situation that can be avoided in the future let's come stateside then and an interesting story John had with Scott Atherton talking about the future of TCR under the IMSA umbrella and uh, Scott making some comments effectively saying he's pleased with the growth in the class. I know the lack of diversity on the grid in what has been known as the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge series in TCR this year was the cause of some hand-wringing from Fans and other observers, frankly, I think uh, everyone from IMSA would be quick to say it was not ideal and not what they were hoping for, but it does sound like help is coming in the form of both Hyundai and also um we're expecting some uh, some Honda Civics on the grid as well to to boost what we've seen here in the last uh, years of, of TCR racing at IMSA. So it sounds like uh, we're seeing the growth that they're looking for, and that's especially important, Jake, considering the ST class is being dropped and it'll simply be a, a two-class series next year. They really need the TCR class to be able to carry its weight.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, it's interesting what Scott was saying about uh, the sort of developments in, in TCR um, I think TCR in general is a really interesting platform and it's been really good to see IMSA and the Pirelli World Challenge adopt it um, into their different series. Um, so it's nice to see a bit more variety for next year, um, a few more different car models coming in. Um, it looks like we're going to have a really, a really exciting field of cars there um, and there's a lot of potential for this to grow even further. There's so many different cars in TCR. Um, worldwide there are so many different teams running them there are so many drivers who who focus on TCR Um, it's a really really interesting platform which I think a lot of us in in sports car racing sort of overlook actually but it's effectively touring cars a version of GT3 Um, even maybe even a bit a bit bigger than that it's it's really a big thing and there's a lot of potential for championships and organizers like IMSA to adopt it and do something really, really impressive with it.
1: Yeah, some of the challenges that are unique to the North American market have to do with many of the manufacturers that are involved in TCR either don't have a heavy presence in North America, or perhaps they just don't have uh, the model that they use for their TCR pr- platform isn't readily available in North America, so that makes it difficult from a marketing perspective to justify the cost, or or even sometimes it just isn't possible to, to be involved in the U.S. when they can be involved elsewhere. But the good news is it does sound like more diversity is coming, and I think that will be welcome. And I expect a, a pretty strong grid of TCR cars next year when the Michelin Pilot Challenge rolls out at Daytona. Um, which is good. Uh, and, and we've seen that they put on pretty good shows when, when they run with the GT4 cars. Although IMSA's had to do quite a bit with BOP to make sure that uh, the two are separate. The TCR cars left unchecked are remarkably quick things and, and to try and make sure the two classes are separate, that's been a challenge for IMSA over the last year. But, uh, sounds like they've got a pretty good understanding of what, to what to expect. And it should be a solid grid come Daytona next year. Uh, some other news and exciting news. I think we've all been waiting to see where this is headed ever since BMW announced that Alex Zanardi was uh, supposed to take part in, in next year's Rolex 24 at Daytona. Of course, racing with hand controls. Uh, the driver, if I, I mean, folks should probably know this, but in case you don't, Alex raced in Formula One and, of course, in, in IndyCars in various iterations and uh, lost his legs in a crash. Uh, back in 2001 in an IndyCar race, but has done remarkable things since then, driving with hand controls, part of this BMW program, not to mention what he's done with his hand cycling in the Paralympics and things of that nature. And it's uh, one step closer now for Alex uh, to that Rolex 24 debut uh, as he has completed his first test in the BMW M8 GTE.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting here what um, Alex Zanardi has been able to achieve. Um, He's done more than 400 miles in a modified MHGTE at Miramas in France. Uh, But what I thought was really interesting from this story was they've been practicing the um, driver changes, which involves replacing the steering wheel because of course the Nardi steering wheel has got a lot more controls to help him uh, than, than other drivers have. So yes, chrome is also on hand. Um, They were practicing driver changes between the pair and got the, um, the steering wheel change down to less than 20 seconds which i think is a really impressive achievement um, so yeah it's really exciting to see to see this story come about and um i'm really looking forward to seeing how Zanardi does it at daytona next year um let's not forget of course that he's already done a 24-hour race he, he did spar 24 hours um in 2015 i believe in a bmw z4 gt3 um which was a similar sort of situation for how they were handling all the driver changes there um, but it's nice to see him get back um, and do another Another big endurance race um next next year,
1: and such a popular driver in the states, given um, his successful career in open-wheel racing in the U.S., still a very big name, and I think a lot of fans are going to be really excited come Daytona to see Alex racing once again. It's been a long time since uh, U.S. fans have been able to see him, and just a tremendous story, and really looking forward to that. Let's wrap up the news by talking about uh, the future of Hypercar, uh, one of the privateers, if you will, that has been in the rumor mill and and actually stated, frankly, that uh, they're interested in in participating in these new regs is the Glickenhaus operation and Dan had an interesting story about uh, what they might have in mind to bring to the table.
2: Yeah, there's been obviously some new um, new uh, developments in the Scuderia Cameron Glickenhaus story. Um, interesting stuff from uh, James Glickenhaus, the guy behind all this. Um, basically, he, he's... Um, released a lot of information about their proposed hypercar yes scg 007 which is an evolution of its uh, 003c model which is its current sort of flagship model which has done uh the Nova green 24 a couple of times it took pole position at that race last year um so their hypercar for for 2020 2021 season of WEC is going to be based on that existing model um, there's a lot of interesting information about this. Um, it's nice to see a, a different kind of manufacturer commit to this. Obviously, there's, a, there's still a lot of question marks surrounding the future of this hypercar project and how it's going to work and who's going to sign up for it. So it's nice to see someone other than sort of the obvious big manufacturers commit to it um, at such an early stage as well. So uh, I think there's a lot of stuff to keep an eye on over on the uh, Cameron house side of it
1: yeah absolutely so for more on that story and all these stories plus some stuff we didn't talk about as well check out sportscar365.com coming up next we will be speaking with Chris Ward the senior manager of motorsport for automobile Lamborghini specifically in North America we'll be talking to him here in just a little while about uh, the upcoming Lamborghini World Final, which is this weekend at Vallelonga, which is where I'm headed here in a few short days. And also, we'll talk to him about uh, the brand success racing in North America here this year. A whole lot to cover with Chris, and we'll talk to him next on Double Stint. Hi, I'm Stephen Simpson, and you're listening to Sports Car 365 Double Stint Podcast. Pleased to be joined now on the Double Stint Podcast by Chris Ward, who is the Senior Manager of Motorsport for Automobili Lamborghini America. He's on site at uh, Vallelunga already, ahead of the Lamborghini World Final, which is coming up this weekend. Chris, I know it is a, a huge event for so many of Lamborghini's customers, but for Lamborghini itself, what does this World Final mean? How significant is it in the overall motorsports context for the brand?
3: uh Ryan, good morning, and, as you said, greetings from Valley um yeah, it's a hugely significant event uh once a year for squad of course, Lamborghini um and, and particularly significant for us, yeah returning to Valley Lunga here for the first time since our inaugural world finals event here in two thousand and thirteen um It's really the culmination uh of our customer racing program in Chibicapo each and every year. And the opportunity for you know the best of the drivers from the three championships, from Europe, Asia, and North America, to be able to get together and uh, shoot for that grand world final prize that we
1: give out on uh, on Sunday. Yeah, you said it. Uh, customers from all over the world are going to be taking part in this event, and that just has me thinking about logistics. I can't imagine... What must go into ensuring all the, the customers can be there on track? How complicated is it behind the scenes to pull off an event like this one?
3: Yeah, you can only imagine with cars coming from China and Japan and from Thailand, let alone the, uh, you know, the containerized logistics of getting cars to the United States, and then all the teams from all over Europe, every European country being represented here. It's, uh, it's a logistical challenge, but... You know, uh, fortunately, the uh, the weather gods have been kind to us. We've got fabulous weather here for the week in Valle Lunga, uh, unlike a couple of weeks ago where there was torrential downfalls in this part of Italy. But uh, fortunately, we've been blessed with good weather. Uh, all the teams are here, and uh, you can probably hear in the background the uh, the first of many promoted test sessions have just begun, and looking for uh, our, uh, our North American teams to top the time charts yet again.
1: Yeah, it's always a good sound. Those Super Trofeo cars sound as good as any car on an IMSA race weekend in the States. How important is this event in terms of attracting customers to the Super Trofeo platform, knowing that they have a crown jewel to look forward to at the end of of their season, not just uh, racing for their their, uh, regional or or continental championship, but also uh, with this world final crown hanging out there, too? Yeah, it's a good question, Ryan. I mean, it's
3: very important. We, uh, as you will have seen, we we look to use the Super Trofeo platform for our customers as a graduation. Uh, And that graduation can be from the crowning of the national championships up to then competing against the best in the world of the Super Trofeo uh, drivers to then be that crown that world title. And as we've seen in the past with past drivers in North America, You know, they look to, you know, um, crown themselves as a world champion in perhaps one of the lower categories, maybe the Lamborghini Cup class or the M category, uh, to then move up into Pro-Am and Pro. And as you've seen with great success in the United States, then some of those drivers then take the next big step into GT tray racing. So, you know, it it really is the summation of all of our customer racing activities um, for us to be able to host this event once a year for those drivers to demonstrate their talents. In front of a broader audience, attract sponsors uh, to then uh, take that giant step up into GT3.
1: You made reference to the fact that it is a return to Valengue for this event. What went into that decision to return to this track and to be back in Italy for the second consecutive year after racing in Imola last year?
3: Well, the, the Italian DNA in our brand you know, runs runs long and deep. Uh, and we had not been here, as I said, for, uh, for six years. Uh, we will announce this weekend the return to uh, another famed uh, Italian uh, race circuit next year. So uh, for the foreseeable future, we'll keep coming back to Italy. Um, the Vallelunga circuit here has undergone extensive redevelopment since our visit here back in 2013 with a new Congress facility where our fabulous VIP hospitality will be based on, looking out over the pit street and there's new grandstand infrastructure being built. So the, the circuit here has really done a wonderful job. Uh, it's been completely repaved, as I said, since our last visit. And, uh, we're, we're really looking forward to a great event here.
1: Yeah, the event has moved around quite a bit. It's been in some exotic locations, some famous racetracks. But is it popular amongst the customer base to be going to Italy at the end of the season every year, uh, at least for three consecutive years with the announcement coming for next season?
3: I can tell you, you know, from personal experience, dining out in uh, Trevignano, which is a small uh, lakeside town just uh, not too far from the track here, and bumping into some of the customers, they were, they were certainly enjoying the local and fair and uh, the fine Italian cuisine and wines of the area. So yeah, hugely popular for the customers, and I know they all are coming back to uh, to our homeland.
1: Yeah. Well, stepping away from the, the world final, which I know has a lot of your focus here, but I would like to take a look back on the 2018 season for Lamborghini in North America. If you could just maybe encapsulate uh, how it has gone. Of course, I think the the Rolex 24 win comes to mind, the GTD championship in IMSA, and the WeatherTech championship comes to mind, and uh, the continued growth of Super Trofeo as well. So h- how would you summarize 2018 from Lamborghini's perspective?
3: Yeah, I think in simple terms, Ryan Dream Season would be the very easy way of summing it up. As you've already mentioned, that that famous uh, overall victory for us in the Rolex 24 uh, in the GTD category, um, our first long distance endurance event for the brand as a whole, uh, and then to be able to back to back that with the win, the famous win, uh, the Sebring Twelve Hours, was just an incredible start to the year. And then to crown off the year uh, with the Paul Miller Racing team uh, and Madison Snow and uh, Brian Suddles crowned as drivers champion and Paul Miller as team champions, and then uh, you know to crown it all to be the manufacturer uh, champion as well was just an extraordinary year and is uh, hard for me to imagine uh, looking after the program how we can possibly. Uh, better that next year so we've got our you know we've got our sights set on uh on bettering that by you know, maybe we can take home the endurance title as well next year and do a do a clean sweep uh the age-old adage of uh, of winning on sunday and selling on monday has actually proved uh, true in our case and um got uh, some interesting announcements uh, that will, will be in the media in the coming week of uh, new teams and customers joining us for the 2019 championship in the whether it's sports car championship. So uh, I'm looking forward to a stellar year next year. Uh, and uh, I'll say, looking to back-to-back, uh, back, that will be, will be a huge accomplishment. For, if you remember, this is only our, our third season of GT3 racing. So hugely proud uh, of the accomplishments of the brand and the, and the teams and the drivers for this uh, very young and up-and-coming uh, sports car racing
1: program. Yeah, it's been impressive to see the rise in a short period of time. Chris, as always, appreciate uh, the opportunity to chat. Good luck to you and the North American contingent at the World Final. I'm looking forward to seeing you out there at Luga here in a few short days. Sure
3: Thanks, Paul. Ryan. Safe travels. Can't wait to see you, and uh, maybe we'll share one of those famous passes of wine together during
1: the week. Sounds like a plan. Thanks so much, Chris. Thanks, Take care. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Jordan Taylor, and you're listening to Sports Car 365's Double Stint Podcast. Back on Double Stint, thanks to Chris for talking with us, a busy guy this week. A lot of work uh, for him in the build-up to the Lamborghini World Final. Looking forward to seeing him and uh, the rest of the Lamborghini crew at Vallelunga this weekend. Let's welcome John DeGeese to the program here. He was kind enough to help us answer some listener questions. And uh, thanks to you as for writing in using both the hashtag AskDoubleStint on Twitter and also leaving comments in the comments section. So with that, John, take it away.
0: We have two questions this week. First one comes from Sean Scooter Roberts, who asks, with Michelin being the primary tire supplier in IMSA, will we see intermediate or even slick-to-mediate tires in the DPI category? Um, the answer right now is no. Um, IMSA will continue with a customer wet compound in all four of its classes. I asked Chris Baker, the director of motorsports for Michelin North America, this question, and um, he said that it's their plan to continue with their customer compounds. They use that actually in GTLM. They have for the past few years, and they found it to be very successful. Um, we do know that Michelin offers you know more advanced options in other series. I think this is more of a thing that sort of IMSA dictated. Um, IMSA likes to keep the budgets down and and cost uh, effective in in that way. So for the time being, we'll be seeing a full wet compound, no inters for DPI or any other category in the WeatherTech championship. But um, Chris didn't rule it out in the future. I I think there's a big push from Michelin to it, um, to sort of showcase their technology in IMSA, but I think it's going to sort of come over time. Um, The second question comes from Noah Wheeler who submitted this on Twitter with the hashtag AskDoubleStint. He was asking about a um, rule in the the sporting regs for next year. Um, He says, so what does the change to rule 3.16.7 actually mean for drivers? 3.16.7 in the rules um, specifies that any member that publicly criticizes and or disparages IMSA and its officials to be considered um, in acting in an unsportsmanlike manner um, shall be considered a breach of of the rules, and he asks how that relates to a new um, amendment added to the regs regarding BOP, where it says public statements regarding BOP are subject to Article 3.16 in the Code of Conduct. I did some digging around at the, the Michelin IMSA Sports Car Encore this past weekend at Sebring, and basically, I, I don't think we should really have a big concern for this rule. Um, it's more of a case of extreme circumstances. Circumstances if, if a driver starts bashing uh, BOP for uh, an unfounded reason on Twitter or, or talks publicly uh, uh, about it in a detrimental way, um, Noah also asked, um, has this ever actually been enforced in the past? The answer is no. I don't believe it has been. I know there's been similar rules like this in other championship rule books in the past. I'm not sure if it's actually been enforced in any of those series either um bottom line is i don't think there's anything to worry about here as long as we all have civil discussions and and you know report things and 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 have friendly comments or maybe jokes on twitter i don't think anybody's going to get in trouble but i think imsa sort of using this as a safety net just in case you know the unexpected happens with a, a driver or a team that sort of lashes out um, for an unfounded reason over bop um, bottom line is i don't think there's anything to worry about for now. So uh, thanks for your questions this week, and I'll be back on the show uh, next week.
1: Thanks to John, and safe travels to you, John, as you make your way to Macau. I think you're in the air as we're taping this right now, but I know you've been anxious to get to Macau uh, for quite some time. It's a rare first for you at this stage, and so hopefully you enjoy the experience and looking forward to talking to John about Macau. In the uh, podcasts to come. So let's dive into our preview here, Jake, looking ahead to this weekend. It is a busy weekend, all told, with WEC headed off to Shanghai, plus Macau and the Lamborghini World Final. Let's start with Shanghai, though. Uh, Some BOP insight, as usual, uh, on the front end of a WEC weekend and some other things I'm sure to, to think about as we look ahead to Shanghai what has your attention going into the next round of the WEC calendar yeah I think there's quite a lot of
2: uh, stuff to have a look at again um, looking ahead to Shanghai obviously it's the last uh, wet race of the calendar year uh, before we have a few months of a gap uh, between Shanghai and Sebring um, so there's going to be some news to come out sort of following Shanghai um, it'll be interesting really if to see how teams sort of use the break um, and yeah, it's, it's interesting. Obviously, Shanghai usually comes at the end of the season. That's what the last few years. So it's obviously got a different, um, different purpose in that it was really sort of a championship points maximizing thing um previously now it's in the middle of the season so it has a different dynamic um, there's a few things to look at with regards to BOP and the equivalence of technology in LMP1 um the news obviously in GTE uh GTE Pro is the Corvette that's going to be entered the Corvette C7R which will be driven by uh, Tommy Milner and Ollie Gavin um in a special red line livery um which will be the factory uh, Corvette team's Asian debut, I believe. Um, that car is going to be running uh, second heaviest of all the GTE Pro cars um, in, in the race, which will actually be its first non-Le Mans WC outing since 2014, incredibly. Um, it's going to be 27 kilograms heavier than it was at Le Mans this year. So obviously that's going to have a fairly fairly big impact in performance. Um, looking elsewhere in the BOP uh, changes as well, um, pretty much all of the cars apart from a Ferrari have been given weight breaks in the latest round of the automatic BOP changes. And in GT and Ferrari has been given a break um, there as well. Uh, looking also at EOT in LMP1, obviously there's a lot of eyes on this to see if um, Toyota will continue on the form uh, that they've been on, or if the non-hybrids will be a bit closer in Shanghai. The uh, the non-hybrids have actually been given a fuel boost ahead of the race with a higher maximum petrol energy per lap allowance and more petrol per stint than they did at Fuji. Uh, the normally aspirated ones of so the Rebellion and the Dragon Speed have had energy allowance increased by 4.7 megajoules a lap um, compared to the Toyota, while the turbocharged engines have had a similar change and an increase uh, there compared to Toyota as well. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting, really, at Shanghai to see, again, where the non-hybrid cars will be, if they can mount a bit more of a challenge to the Toyotas, or if Toyota still going to run away with it and get another one-two finish. Who knows? So it'll be very interesting to uh, keep an eye on that.
1: Yeah, always interesting with the BOP and uh, certainly, and the EOT now, you can throw that into the mix. Uh, Some of that stuff is perhaps better understood by reading, but uh, good synopsis there, and do appreciate that, JK. So if you want more on that or just want to see it in front of you for a while as you try and make sense of the whole thing, uh, head to sportscar365.com. We've got a whole lot. On that, of course. Um, and uh, for me, I'm going to it's going to be strange to see a, a Corvette in a different livery than that customary yellow. So I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to recognize the Corvette right away. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, it still should sound the same and, and that should make it stand out uh, as it always does. Other big event over the weekend. It is Macau. Uh, We see GT3 there, as we have for quite some time. It hasn't always painted sports car racing in the best light, quite frankly, this this Macau event. However, it is a prestigious one. Hopefully, we don't have any 12-car pileups or anything to that effect or a car finishing on its roof or anything like that. Uh, what, What do you expect, Jake, to see at Macau? The usual craziness or something different?
2: Yeah, I'm really not sure, to be honest. Um, one of the things to look at, obviously, is that there is a smaller grid than usual. There's 15 GT3 cars registered, so that could definitely have an effect. It might make a big pile-up like we had last year a bit less likely. Um, hopefully, hopefully that's the case. Obviously, we do want to see a, a good race at Macau. It can produce some really incredible stuff. Um, it's one of the best street circuits out there as well. So hopefully, we get some good some good racing this weekend there. Some really um, interesting entries as well. A good variety. We've got Nissans, Audis, BMWs, Porsches, Mercedes on the entry list. Uh, some some big name drivers as well. Some more surprising drivers as well. For example, Oli Jarvis at KCMG and a Nissan is fairly unexpected, I guess. Um, and a lot of the usual GT3 giants who have had a lot of success at Macau in the past. Eduardo Motara, of course, Mauro Engel, Lawrence Mantor, Earl Bamba, Robin Franks. Um, yeah, some really, really strong entries there. There's, there's not really any anyone on that entry list that you don't think has got a decent chance, so that'll be good to see um, there. And also some really, really cool liveries um, for this race as well. Uh, we've had a few stories on the site about these liveries. Um, Porsche's got them, Audi, um, Mercedes, some really interesting ones there. So do go and have a look at those. And another um, interesting bit of news as well is that for schnitzer motorsport which is running bmw m6 gt3s in the race it's actually going to be the last race for charlie lamb as its team principal um he's been sort of a really integral part of the team um but he's going to retire um at the end of the year um so a good finish for that team i'm sure he'll be he'll be looking for
1: yeah so plenty to look forward to should be a fun weekend at macau and um, we've got john there on site uh, for all the coverage, um, and so that should make it even better with um, more coverage coming your way at sportscar365.com. Lastly, I'll be headed to Malalunga, the site of the Lamborghini World Final. A huge event is always wrapping up the regional championships and then The world final event to crown a a worldwide global champion in Super Trofeo Racing coming your way this weekend. So uh, more coverage of that at sportscar 365com as well. Makes for a busy weekend, but a fun weekend. Jake, thanks for jumping on the show. Thanks as well to John for joining us for the questions. And uh, we'd love a rating and a review on iTunes if you have the the time to do that. Also, questions are always welcome using the hashtag AskDoubleStint or in the comment section. But with all that said, that's a wrap for us this week. Talk to you next week with our next edition of Double Sticks.